Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Under Pressure, with a message titled, Conduct for Christian Servants and Slaves. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 20, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. to admit at the outset that the passage we're about to read, in my estimation, is very difficult. I mean, not difficult to understand, difficult to come to terms with. And I have to warn you that this short passage, after we've really examined it, is going to cause some emotional reactions in some, and you have to be prepared for it. But I urge you to hang in there through this entire teaching session, listen to the end, and then and only then begin to think, what has the Lord said to me? So let's begin by reading the passage, 1 Peter 2, 18 to 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only with the good and gentle, but also with the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So let's set out the parameters. This is a passage written to Christians describing to them how they are to conduct themselves in the wider culture. Back in chapter 2, verse 12, we read, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So Peter wants nothing to hinder the advance of the gospel. He wants that when Christians go about their lives in the wider culture, that the way they live should not cause a stumbling block to a pagan. And the backdrop, of course, is persecution. Christians were beginning to face a fiery ordeal from both the government and the wider pagan population. But Peter insists that Christians don't respond in kind. Have honorable conduct. Make the gospel look sweet by the way you live. And then Peter begins to spell out the specifics. He wants Christians to be subject to or submissive to the governing authorities. Be a model citizen, he says. Show everyone honor. Do this also to the government authorities. And if you go back to chapter 2, verse 13, Peter began there with a general statement meant to cover, well, not just government, but a lot of things. Be subject, he said, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So first he spoke of government as one human institution, but now he speaks of slavery. Be subject, servants to your masters. You see, I told you, this is a difficult passage. So let's begin with the Greek that Peter employs. The word is not doulos, it's actually oikates, The word speaks of a household servant, whereas doulos speaks of a slave in general. So it might be easy to say that, you know, perhaps Peter only has household servants in mind, not people who labor out in fields or a host of other activities that ancient slaves were a part of. But here's where it gets difficult. Those two Greek words for servants and slaves, you know, in time they were virtually synonymous. This is a word to servants and to all slaves, to all of them. However, it's not a general treatment of slavery. Peter's very specific in his address. He's speaking about Christian conduct. And so he has in mind the Christian who's a slave, who works for a master who's not a Christian. And as we can see from the passage, I mean, some had wonderful masters who treated them with consideration. However, some had difficulty working for a master who was cruel, caused them to suffer. In any case, Peter says, be subject to them, submit to them. Peter says, it's a gracious thing if you're mindful of God that you endure suffering. And I said it was a difficult passage. 
Not that it was difficult to understand. It's difficult to come to terms with this. I mean, how can Peter tell those Christian slaves who are presently serving an unjust master to simply put their heads down and bear up under it? So please hear how different the Bible sounds than does the preaching of some contemporaries. I mean, when you hear the faith teachers, you can almost hear them say, well, you need to trust God. He's going to deliver you from this evil. Claim the victory. And you'll see this vile, evil man come to nothing, and you'll be set free. I mean, that's what the faith teachers of today would say. And then, of course, there are the social justice preachers who would argue that we need to do something about the awfulness of slavery. It's demeaning. Campaign for change. Demand it. Make Rome notice the unjust suffering of millions. And yet here we have a passage in our Bible that tells Christian slaves to simply put down their heads and bear up under years of demeaning and unjust servitude. I mean, that kind of teaching seems maddening to some, and there are those who are especially sensitive that become outraged by this passage. So where do we begin? Well, we begin by understanding the passage as not written in the light of the Western experience of enslaving Africans, but in terms of the time when it was written. See, slavery in the ancient Roman world looked very different than it did in 19th century America. So let's begin with that. First, it wasn't just one race that was enslaved, but many. And second, first century slaves were not only unskilled laborers. Yeah, of course, there were those who were that, but many slaves were different. Some were overseers of large businesses. Others were trained professionals, such as, you know, doctors, teachers, skilled artisans. Some were even philosophers. Some were musicians. Amazingly, some slaves even owned property, and some of them even owned slaves. So I'm trying to paint a picture of an institution that covered everything from someone who's working in inhuman conditions in a mine and someone who's overseeing a villa and living in a very nice setting. And so several things need to be considered. Some slaves were born into slavery. Others were in slavery to pay off a debt, and they would soon be released when the debt was paid. Still others were slaves because they'd been captured in war. Rather than to go to prisoner of war camp, they might remain there for the rest of their lives. Rather than that, they served as slaves. Still another matter. In the time of the New Testament, slavery in the Roman world was changing. There was at that time extensive Roman legislation that dealt with the treatment of slaves. That is to say, cruelty was not as common as it had been before. And furthermore, many slaves did receive pay for their services and could expect to eventually buy back their freedom. But even so, I'm not presenting a picture of slavery as a wonderful thing. There were in those days still professional kidnappers who would kidnap people and sell them as slaves. Paul mentions those people in 1 Timothy 1 verse 10. He calls them ungodly, unholy, profane, and lawless. And having said all of that, let's also remember something else. No Christian at the time of the writing of 1 Peter had even the slightest ability to make any changes in the institution of slavery. Indeed, it was not just that Rome had slavery, the entire world had it. To suggest that one could change this institution is simply not seeing reality. Slavery was an institution that, as far as Rome was concerned, simply enduring. One more item. Early Christianity spread rapidly among slaves, and why? because Christianity offered dignity to slaves. Listen as Paul describes the situation of Christian slaves in 1 Corinthians 7, 20-21. He says, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bond servant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. And then he adds, But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. If you can, you should become free. 
might not be possible. Understand, that's the background as we go through this passage. Okay, let's start again. Peter begins with the word to Christian servants and slaves, household servants, as well as slaves of every kind who are in subjection to non-Christian masters. He instructs, be subject, be obedient to your non-Christian masters. Now, that word masters in the Greek has an English derivative, despot. It implies a dictator, even a tyrant. Sounds scary. Nonetheless, be obedient and honor your master if he's good and gentle, as well as if he's unjust. And the word unjust means he's crooked, he's unscrupulous, he's dishonest. It's a tough command. It's tough because the mind of Christ in us rebels against a person who acts that way. And yet the Christian slave might find himself or herself in just such a situation that they're serving an unscrupulous, cruel man. I think it's necessary here to remember, it wasn't just the case of those slaves who were in the first century. It's also true of Christians today who, you know, might be working for an employer who's unscrupulous. Now, obviously in our day, workers do have rights that first century slaves did not have. I mean, you might be protected by a labor union, but you might not be. You might have other opportunities to work somewhere else, and you might be able to avail yourself of that, but your economic situation might make it so that quitting is not a possibility for you. You might be stuck in your job, and you might find, just like an ancient slave, there's absolutely no way out, at least not in the moment. And it's to just such a person, the Christian, the man or woman, sold out to do the will of Jesus, that Peter addresses his instructions. If you're in a job in which you have no way out, at least for now, and you have an unscrupulous boss who treats you badly, here is the Lord's will for you. Put your head down, submit to your boss, do your job. Don't try to sabotage him behind his back. Honor him and make sure he knows that even if he's a liar and a cheat, you, his worker, are not that. You can be trusted and you will seek to bless him by your work. You'll honor him as your boss, even though it may be extremely difficult to do so. That's God's will for you. Back to the Bible Canada is approaching its fiscal year end, making June a financially critical month for the ministry. Over these past few years, Back to the Bible Canada has been committed to ensuring that in unpredictable times, you can rely on our Bible teaching and engagement resources to provide the comfort and guidance of God's Word. This year, to ensure we reach our goal, a few generous ministry friends who share our heart for Bible teaching have offered to help us reach our year-end target of $409,000 by pledging to match every dollar you donate up to $100,000. This will double the impact of your gift. There is no better time to consider supporting this ministry than right now. We'd be so grateful for any gift you might choose to give. So for more information or to donate, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. We move now to verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Peter has now broadened the scope. 
He has been speaking specifically to the Christian slave working for a non-Christian master, but he's also conscious that defenseless Christian slaves might be working for a perverse master, and as such, they're called upon to suffer under unjust punishment. But now he also mentions that that's not just true of slaves. It could also be true of people in all sorts of other situations. Again, remember that Peter's not talking about those who are able to get out from under a difficult situation. I mean, for instance, if you're a woman who's being abused by your husband, you need to get out. But Peter's not speaking to those who have options. But he's speaking now in a general way. If you're in a situation where you're enduring sorrow and suffering unjustly, remember something about your present situation. It's a gracious thing to suffer while you're mindful of God, or to put it another way. If you endure unjust suffering patiently, you're pleasing God. Now, I told you it's a difficult passage. I mean, there are some who might rage against this. But please ask yourself to think about the opposite. If you have no way out and you're suffering, your option can be to nurture hatred in your heart, or it can be to graciously submit to God. You think it's only Peter who spoke about this? Jesus did. In Luke 6.32, Jesus said that if you only love those who love you, You're not better off than the worst of sinners. All of them do precisely that. And then verse 38, he says, but love your enemies and do good to those. And then he promises that your reward in heaven will be great. And using Jesus' frame of reference and that of Peter, the corrupt master or the corrupt boss is in fact your enemy. And Christian conduct that is honoring to God and allows the fragrance of Christ to spread is that if you have no other resources than enduring the suffering that you're under, be mindful of God, that is, that God is sovereign, that he's lovingly allowed you to undergo such a trial. Bear up graciously and don't let your conduct be unbecoming. So stop and try to understand this teaching in terms of our you know, modern day experiences. When we're at work, we work under a contract. Whether you're a highly paid professional or executive, or whether you're a minimum wage unskilled worker, you have a contract. It might be as simple as an understanding of what your wages and hours are, along with the duties that you are to perform. And it might also include benefits along with expected results. But however the contract is framed, when you begin your work, both you and your employer have assumptions about what is required on both parts. And what should you do when on one side, in this case, an unscrupulous employer does not fulfill his side of that arrangement? Is it then Christian conduct? that you don't fulfill your obligations either. I mean, if you don't do yours, I'm not gonna do mine. I'll leave my work undone. I'll take something home from my workplace that wasn't mine. Doesn't matter, you're ripping me off, I'm ripping you off. Is that Christian conduct that's pleasing to the Lord? No, it's not. See, the crazy thing is, some Christians do conduct themselves in that way. And if it's not that, they'll give themselves to constantly complaining and mean-mouthing their employer behind his back, attempting to sabotage as much as they're able. Is that pleasing to the Lord? You know it's not. Disregarding your side of the contract doesn't please God. Psalm 15, Psalm of David. You know, David talks about who may come to the holy hill of the Lord, and then he answers that. Verse 3, he says, they who do no evil to their neighbor. And then verse 4, They are the ones who swear to their own hurt and do not change. In other words, they do what they have agreed to do no matter how painful or how inconvenient the matter becomes. Disregarding our obligations is not pleasing to God. But what if we're suffering unjustly? And the answer is, 
that we may seek to bring justice to the situation. But as you can see, that's not what Peter's addressing. Bringing justice is another matter. However, we may not retaliate. You know, bearing up doesn't mean that we don't redress evil, but it does mean that we don't seek vengeance. You know, the idea, my day is coming, and when it does, I'm going to treat you as you treated me. I mean, Peter simply denies that any believer has that as an option. Very well. Let's get back to our text. We come now to verse 20. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? So stop here. Now, here we get an insight into the treatment that a first century slave might get from an unjust master. And by the way, there were Christian masters and they were specifically forbidden from acting that way. Go to Ephesians 6, 9. There Paul writes, Masters do the same, that is, oversee your servants with a good will. And then he says, Stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. See, not only were Christian masters prevented from beating their servants, they were even prevented from threatening to beat them. That would not be in their toolkit of providing leadership. Christian employers today might want to bear that in mind. But again, as I've said, this rule for Christian masters is not what 1 Peter is addressing. You know, here we have a Christian slave who's being beaten for reasons that Peter doesn't specify. And Peter says, what if you're being beaten because you're a very poor slave? You didn't do your job. You created chaos at the workplace. You steal from work. You never put in a full day's work. What, he asks, happens if you do that and your master is a cruel man and he starts beating you? Is it then that you can go to God and say, look, I'm being beaten? Do you become a person who bears up under suffering, receiving honor from God? And Peter's answer is, no, you don't. Even while violence is unjust, you're not to think of yourself of one of Christ's martyrs. See, the word credit means of good reputation or as reason to receive glory. There is no eternal benefit if you bear up under suffering as a result of bad conduct. Our world only sees things in terms of the imbalance in power relationships. We see only that which is done by powerful people to the powerless. I'm not, I'm not arguing that we ought not condemn what the powerful do to the powerless, but, but Peter is saying that the powerless must also answer for their conduct. You don't get a pass just because you're powerless. You too, the powerless, have to answer to God for your sins. Again, I come back to my theme. This is a teaching that many of us are going to find difficult. And the concern will be that some of us think that this kind of teaching only enables the powerful to even be more abusive regarding the rights of the powerless. But as I've said before, this text does nothing like that. It rather says to the powerless who are suffering and abused as Christians, your status does not take away the obligation that you have to act honorably to your Lord. Don't make your unjust sufferings an excuse to behave unjustly. No one, might I say it again, no one has the right to neglect their moral obligations before God, regardless of the situation in which you find yourself, Christian, man, or woman. If you find yourself in a difficult station in life, it's of no honor before God that you act unjustly in your suffering. Now to verse 20 again. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The word gracious comes from charis, grace. Peter means that enduring as a Christian under unjust suffering comes from grace. In the context, it's synonymous with the idea of credit. That is, God is giving you credit 
for the way in which you act, for the way in which you glorify God in your suffering. Furthermore, your unjust suffering and your endurance is evidence that God is giving you strength and sweetness of spirit to endure. It's all grace. Now let's think about the implications of what Peter has taught us. You know, before the fall, Adam and Eve were told that they were called upon to work the garden. And in God's gracious provision, he provided for the first couple employment, if you will. They were called upon to accomplish something. They were to work. It was meant to give them dignity. It was allow them to rule over the creation and also to express uniquely what it means to be human. But after the fall, work took upon itself a new dimension. Many people today experience work as anything but a blessing. That's why people buy lottery tickets. They want to get out of work. Work for them is filled with unwanted drama and disagreements and stress and unfairness. And workers often feel like the things they accomplish are taken out of their hands and are exploited to the advantage of only their employer. They work hard and wonder why their employer seems to be getting wealthy while they always struggle to make ends meet. And this kind of thing becomes a burden to a great many in the human race. And Christian people aren't exempt from this burden. I think it's right to have labor laws, that we ought to protect workers, pay them well. Christians ought to care for that. But the truth that underlies this passage is a very simple truth. As a Christian, don't think for a moment that your status in Christ has removed the sufferings of this world from you. It has not. But in your suffering, you can glorify God by honorable conduct. Peter says, be known as people who glorify God even in your suffering. Thanks for your message, John. Let me ask you, should the Christian leader or the Christian business person treat their employees, their staff in a unique way? Are we called to a different standard? Yeah, I mean, obviously we are. I mean, uh, no Christian can simply say, I, I, you know, I'm a business person, like if you employ a number of other people. I mean, you are uniquely a Christian business person, and you have been called to bring the aroma of Christ onto your workplace. So, It means that you still give leadership and you still demand things of your employees and there's a level of productivity that you need to maintain and uh, you want to continue to have a profit margin. But I think that behind all of that, there is the, the, the real issue that I am being a servant of Christ in this. I mean, so the Christian worker and the Christian employer, I mean, both of them uniquely have a role to play in redemption, in bringing the gospel of Jesus to the world and it also showcasing what kind of behavior marks the Christian. What an opportunity. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us next week as we continue our series, Under Pressure, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. In Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. We find instruction on our commitment to the teaching of the Bible. We are to teach His Word to our children, wherever we are, at any time of day. And that's the significance of our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program. So if you choose to join this monthly program, you're partnering with us to ensure that Bible teaching is being taught faithfully and abundantly. One monthly partner said, if your heart is to see Christians grow in maturity in their walk with the Lord, and to see lives transformed and turned towards Jesus, I would encourage you to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada through their 1119 Fellowship Program. 
to join or for more information, or to offer a single gift towards our dollar-for-dollar fiscal year-end match campaign, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.